Now, while you're looking up that text and you're preparing to take some notes, now let's watch this video clip together. The scriptures describe money as God's primary rival for our devotion. If that's true, if the worship of money is one of the gravest dangers of the spiritual life, then it's imperative to know more than a few Bible verses pulled out of context. It's imperative to know the full counsel of Scripture on the nature of money and the source of its power. Some say money is simply neutral, a brute tool like any other. Some say money's a lot like a brick. Bricks can break windows. They can break bone. But they can also build cathedrals. You cannot blame the brick for how it's used. Seems simple. It's not like money has a will of its own, right? If money is like a brick, what happens when we replace the word money with the word bricks? You cannot serve both God and bricks. Hmm. How hard it is for those who have bricks to enter into the kingdom of God. That doesn't seem right. Keep your life free from the love of bricks. The love of bricks is a root of all evil. Perhaps money isn't like a brick after all. Because money is more than just an object. Money is one, a store of value, and two, a system of exchange. It's a pathway to countless things our hearts crave. We can trade money for homes and cars and vacations, for power and fame, luxury and esteem. Money can be a tool, but it can also be an idol. The Bible describes money as something that flies and seduces, chokes and entangles us, testifies against us as though it were a spirit, a false god with a will of its own to fool and enslave us. Jesus calls money unrighteous. The Psalms and Proverbs contrast trusting in God with trusting in wealth. They warn against unrighteous means of acquiring and using wealth, and against gaining so much wealth that we become arrogant and satisfied and forget our need for God. The Bible even tells us that the desire for wealth is a snare that leads us into harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. In the hands of the godly and wise, money can be a tool of extraordinary good. Whether you have a fortune or two pennies, you can convert what Jesus calls unrighteous mammon and consecrate it for kingdom service, transforming earthly assets into heavenly treasures. You can use it to serve others in amazing ways. But money can also use you as it deceives and distorts, seduces and enslaves. So ask yourself, is money your master or is it your servant? Is money an idol in your heart or a tool in your hands for the construction of the kingdom of God? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning, that we would see, open our ears that we would hear, open our minds so that we can understand And most of all, open our hearts so that we would receive the truth, your truth, that you want to plant there in our lives today. May we be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, I pray today, especially with this topic of money. Teach us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
This morning as we continue our series of lessons from Proverbs, Seeking God's Wisdom, I want to share what I think is a much needed lesson on seeking God's wisdom on money. Let me remind you that Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, was the wisest man and the richest man to have ever lived. So when he gives us advice on financial matters, he knows what he is talking of. In fact, Solomon wrote over 80 different Proverbs on money management. He gives us God's wisdom for buying and selling, saving and giving, lending and borrowing, and much, much more. Just as an example, I want you to take a look at a few verses here in Proverbs chapter 30 as we begin our journey through Proverbs on money today. Notice what is written. Two things I ask of you, Lord... Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. That kind of talks about last week's lesson, doesn't it? Then he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. Interesting. Today as we're seeking God's wisdom on money, let's keep this lesson very, very simple and practical. First, let's talk about some money problems, and then let's look at some money solutions. So let's begin with money problems. Solomon asked a probing question of us in Proverbs 17 and verse 16. Of what use is money in the hand of a fool? since they have no desire to get wisdom. Well, unfortunately, sometimes we are pretty foolish when it comes to managing our money. And here in the book of Proverbs, we can identify at least five money problems that we deal with in our everyday lives. The first one is what I call the values problem. The values Sometimes our perspective about money is so warped that it completely messes up our whole sense of values and priorities in life. Perhaps you've heard the story about the guy that's driving his fancy new Beamer along Springville Highway 190 and he pulls off in front of the cafe and parks his car and as he's getting out the driver's side of his car one of those big old trucks going to Giffords goes by and rips the door right off of his brand new Beamer and the guy's standing there and of course being the helpful Springvillians that we are one of us pulls up alongside the guy and goes are you all right and he's just standing there shocked oh my Beamer Oh, my Beamer! Oh, my Beamer! And then this passerby says, Oh, my goodness! Your left arm is missing! And the guy goes, Oh, not my Rolex, too! (laughs) Folks, there are some things in life that should be valued much more than our money or our possessions. Look at the wisdom of Solomon on this matter. Proverbs 15, verses 16 and 17. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there's love than a fattened calf with hatred. Got it? 
Proverbs 17, verse 1. A dry crust eaten in peace is better than a steak every day, along with argument and strife. Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good reputation and respect are worth much more than silver and gold. You see, we're pretty foolish to allow our priorities to get so skewed by money or things. Perhaps Jesus summed it up best when He told us in Luke 12, verse 15, your true life is not made up of the things you own no matter how rich you may be. So the first money problem is the values problem. And then there's the security problem. The security problem, that's closely related, I think, to the first problem. When our values get twisted and we begin to think that money is the most important thing in life, it isn't long before we begin to put our trust and our confidence in our money, our investments, our home, our things, the stuff of our lives become the source of security in our lives. Look at how... Proverbs says this is so foolish. Proverbs 11, verse 28. Trust in your money and down you go. (laughs) Trust in God and flourish as a tree. Proverbs 18, verse 11. The rich man thinks of his wealth as an impregnable defense, a high wall of safety. What a dreamer. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. How we need to learn that lesson. And so the second money problem is the security problem. And then there's the debt problem. The debt problem. Now most all of us can identify with this one. In fact, statistics tell us that the average American today spends $105 for every $100 that he or she earns. Now, it doesn't take a genius to be able to do the math on that one and realize why we have such a problem with debt in our country today. Let's read Proverbs 22 and verse 7 out loud together. Would you read this one with me? Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. And that's exactly where many of us live our entire lives today. We are held slaves by our creditors. We are in bondage to our bills. In Romans 13, verses 7 and 8, Paul gave us this instruction about debt. He says, Give everyone what you owe him. Let no debt remain outstanding. I like the way the King James Version translates verse 8. Actually, it just simply says, Oh, no man, anything. Period. (laughs) See, God's wisdom on the matter of debt is don't. We must learn to live within our means. It's wise only to borrow on appreciating assets and not on depreciating liabilities. So much more could be said there, but... The third money problem is the debt problem. Then there's the greed problem. The greed problem. The Bible often uses the word covetousness, not a word we talk about very often today. In fact, I was reading an article just this last week. The question was asked of Catholic priests, what sin is never confessed in the confessional? Guess what it was? Greed. Covetousness. Nobody ever wants to think they have a problem with this. 
It's that insatiable desire that's never satisfied with what we have. It always wants just a little bit more. Look at what Solomon wrote. Proverbs 15, verse 27. The greedy bring ruin to their households. Boy, I could tell you some stories on that one. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Don't weary yourself trying to get rich. Why waste your time? For riches disappear as though they had the wings of a bird. (laughs) What a word picture that is, huh? Jesus Himself warned us in Luke 12, verse 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed or covetousness. Enough said. So the fourth money problem is the greed problem. And then there's the dishonesty problem. The dishonesty problem. When our values are twisted and we begin to think that money and things are our security and we go into debt because of our greed, that's the first four problems, often those problems lead us to pursue money in a dishonest way. Solomon warns us against such folly. Proverbs 13 verse 11, dishonest money dwindles away. Proverbs 20, verse 17. I really like this one. Some men enjoy cheating, but the cake they buy with such ill-gotten gain will turn to gravel in their mouths. It's <laughs> a word picture. Proverbs 21, verse 6. Cheating to get rich is a foolish dream and no less than suicide. So what are some dishonest means of pursuing money and things? Well, there are many. Obviously, Stealing. Cheating on your income tax, that's the current one. Illegally duplicating copyrighted music and videos, that is rampant in our world today. Gambling, that's a problem we have right here in our area. Exploiting someone else to your own personal advantage, just to name a few. Such dishonesty is folly. Let's read Paul's words in Ephesians 4.28 out loud together. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, be honest and work hard. That's great advice. And so the fifth money problem is the dishonesty problem. Money problem. Solomon identifies at least five of them. The values problem, the security problem, the debt problem, the greed problem, and the dishonesty problem. And I'm sure that's not at all anywhere close to being an exhaustive list. So how can we deal with these money problems? What steps can we take to be God-honoring stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us? Well, to find out, let's take a look at some money solutions. As the wisest and richest man who ever lived, Solomon outlines five basic foundational solutions to our money problems here in the book of Proverbs. And it all starts with what I call the audit solution. The audit solution solution. First solution is simply keep good records. (laughs) So many times I'll have people say to me, I just don't know where my money goes. And I'll say, well then find out. I mean, do a personal audit on yourself. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 27 verses 23 and 24, Riches can disappear fast, so watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and your herds. Now, not too many of us have flocks and herds today, but that was their assets back then. You understand that? Today we would say, know the state of your bank accounts. 
Know the state of all your assets and your liabilities. Know where your financial picture is at all times, is what he's saying there. In fact, Proverbs 23, 23 just simply says, get the facts at any price. Well, what are the facts that we need? At least these four. First, we need to know what we owe. If you've never done this, I encourage you to take the time to look at all the things you owe, whatever it may be that you make a payment to regularly, and write it on a single sheet, put it on your computer if that's what you do, but put it on one in one place and write what it is you owe, to whom you make the payment, what the address is to that, uh, what the term is for that particular debt, when the due date is for that, and what interest rate are you paying on that particular debt. You ought to have that all written out in one spot for each thing that is an obligation for you. What we owe. Secondly, know what we own. I'm amazed. doesn't come up until you have an insurance claim that people don't know what they own. If you've never done this, I encourage you to take pictures. I really do. Take pictures and put those pictures either in a digital file someplace or if you want to print out the pictures in an actual file in a safe spot other than in your home or in a fireproof safe if that's the case. And you ought to have an inventory of everything that you own. Any deeds, any things of that nature, life insurance policies, all those things that you quote unquote own ought to be in one spot. You ought to have a list of them. You ought to know that. Thirdly, what we earn. I'm amazed people don't know what they earn. What do you make? Well, they quote some figure. I put X amount of dollars. I'm not talking about what you put in the bank. I'm talking about what you earn. By the way, you know that what you earn is your gross. Some of you are going, yeah, it's pretty gross. Uh, it's your gross. It's not your net. You understand that, don't you? It's what you... What your check was if all of it came to you, which it doesn't because they withhold, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But, but do you even know, like, the interest that you're earning on different investments? Do you have a place where all of this is in one spot? All the things that you earn, everything that is a source of income to you, you have it all documented so clearly that if you were to die today, your family members would know exactly your state. You should have that. And then finally, you need to know what we spend. (laughs) In fact, I've, I've actually told people I tell young couples this oftentimes when they're struggling financially. Get yourself some index cards and just carry them in your purse or your billfold or your pocket. And for the next month, your assignment is every time you spend anything, even a penny, you get out that index card, you write the date, the time, what it was, and how much. There are people who have come back to me and gone, I had no idea that I spent $60 a month on Starbucks coffee. It's going to happen just like that, folks. You want to know where your money's going, do a personal audit on yourself and write down every single penny you earn. Try it. Some of you, just try it this week. Just take an index card and every time you spend any money, however you spend it, whether you spend it online or spend it at the store or wherever you spend it, every time you spend something, you just write it down on that index card. At the end of the week, tally it all up and you will be shocked. I guarantee you. It's an amazing little exercise. 
One source I read this past week offered this formula for disaster. Ignorance plus easy credit equals problems. And that's our society, you understand today, right? People don't know where they stand financially, and along comes an easy credit offer. <laughs> you can have this now for 30 easy payments. I've never met an easy payment in my life, by the way. <laughs> and we get sucked into that, and then along comes another one. Before we know it, we've got debt more than what we can manage. And it's all because credit's so easy in our culture today. And we don't know where we stand, and because of that we get ourselves in trouble really quick. So, the first money solution is the audit solution. Keep good records. Number two is the budget solution. The budget solution. Second money management principle is simply this. Plan your spending. To fail to plan is to plan to fail. Listen to God's advice through Solomon on this. He says in Proverbs 21 and verse 5. Let's read this one out loud. Would you read it with me? Plan carefully and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. Boy, that's a good verse. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says, Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Amazingly, I'm told that less than 10% of households in the U.S. today even have a budget. That means that 90% of us have no plan whatsoever for our spending. So it shouldn't surprise us that a recent study at USC reveals that 9 out of 10 people shop impulsively. They don't plan their shopping, they just see something and they go for it. Does that surprise you, by the way? No, that's because you're part of the 90%. Okay. <laughs> Prevention Magazine published an article recently called, Are You a Shopaholic? I had to read it. And the article describes some of the support and therapy groups that are available. Did you know there's a, a, a support group called Shopper Stoppers? <laughs> Debt, Debtors Anonymous. Yeah, you've probably heard of that one. But what really intrigued me was in this article, they described one lady's technique for controlling her impulsive spending. She puts her credit cards in a bowl of water and then puts them in the freezer. And then if she gets the impulse to spend something, that impulse usually passes before it thaws. Then I thought, go for it, lady. Whatever it takes, you know, to control your spending. And so the second money solution is the budget solution. Number three is the saving solution. The saving solution. The third principle is simply this, and that is invest for the future. Again, Proverbs 21 verse 20 puts it this way. The wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends whatever they get. Now folks, here are the facts. The average Japanese person saves 25% of all of his or her income. The average European person saves 18% of his or her income. The average American, less than 1% of income. So what about you? What are you going to start investing for the future? When are you going to regularly and consistently contribute to a savings account? Now I say that and oftentimes I get the response, well I can't afford to save anything. And I say, well, 
You really can't afford to not save something, even if it is small. Look what Proverbs 13 verse 11 says. Whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Great proverb. That's the secret, little by little. You'll never save anything if you don't start with something. And so the third money solution is the savings solution. Number four is the contentment solution. The contentment solution. Here's the gist of the fourth principle. Enjoy what you have now. Here's what Solomon wrote, Proverbs 21, verse 17. You're addicted to thrills? What an empty, discontented life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. See, our problem is we're so busy pursuing the next thrill, the next thing that is new and exciting, that we don't take the time to enjoy what we have right now. We've bought into the lie that things are what make us happy. If I just had a bigger house, or if I just could drive a nicer car, if I could just get this job, or I could just get this uh, pay promotion, um, then I would be happy. And so we work, and we work, and we run here, and we run there, and we get sucked into this frantic, stressed-out lifestyle, and then we justify it by saying, well, it's only temporary. Right. Who are you kidding? Don't think you have a problem in that area? Then let me give you this simple test. Complete the following sentence. I will be happy once I have blank. Just think about that. Come on. Seriously, just think about it. I'll be happy once I have Someone I read this past week put it this way. My yearnings will always exceed my earnings. It's just a fact of life. My yearnings will always exceed my earnings. Look at what the Apostle Paul's words were in Philippians 4 and verse 12. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Notice he says it's a secret that can be learned. Well, we need to learn that secret too. Our prayer needs to be the prayer that we read in our text earlier in Proverbs 30 verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Just what I need for this moment. Lord. Or in Jesus' own words, give us today our daily bread. And we will be content with that. And so the fourth money solution is the contentment solution. Number five is the tithing solution. Well, of course, you knew a preacher would say this. The tithing solution. But I want you to understand this is not my idea. It's God's idea. The principle is simply give to God first. Proverbs 3 verses 9 and 10 summarizes it so very well. It says, Honor the Lord by giving Him the leftovers of all your income. That's not what it says? Oh, what does it say? Let's read it out loud together. Honor the Lord by giving Him the first part of all your income, and He will fill your barns with wheat and barley and overflow your wine vats with the finest wines. The the key phrase there, you understand, is the first part. The problem is that we are tippers and not tithers. 
We give God the leftovers after we pay the bills rather than the first part before we pay the bills. He is an afterthought in our expenses rather than the first thought. By the way, did you notice the promise there in verse 10? He will fill your barns with wheat and barley and overflow your wine vats with the finest wines. In other words, if we give God the first part of all our income, if we tie 10% right off the top before anything else, God will bless us beyond what we're even able to imagine. That's His promise. He has given us His word on this. In fact, Malachi 3 and verse 10 reinforces that promise. God says, bring the whole tithe, not part of the tithe, but the whole tithe, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now that's God's Word. It's not something a preacher made up. It's God's Word on it. You know this is the only place that I know of in the entire Bible where God invites us, actually He commands us, to test Him. Isn't that interesting? God says, test me. Come on. Go ahead. I dare you. Test me on this. And give me the 10% first before anything else. And I guarantee you that the 90% that you have left over will go further than if you had kept the 100% for yourself. Now, I can't explain that. I call it God math. (laughs) All I know is it works. And all I know is God says, do it. Test Him. Test Him. If you've never done that, I challenge you to test Him. Over the next couple, three months, just do it. Just test Him. Put Him to the test. All right, God, you double dog dared me. I'm going to do it. And let God prove Himself. Because He will. The question is, do you have the faith to test God? Do you have enough guts to take Him on? Hmm. So the fifth money solution is the tithing solution. And as the wisest and richest man to ever live, Solomon gives us five basic foundational solutions to our money problems. The audit solution, keep good records. The budget solution, Plan your spending, the saving solution, invest for the future, the contentment solution, enjoy what you have now, and the tithing solution. Give to God first. Proverbs, seeking God's wisdom. Today we've been seeking God's wisdom on money. And I want to read this verse that I read at the beginning to close, but I want you to read it out loud with me this time. Let's read it together. Of what use is money in the hand of a fool since they have no desire to get wisdom? Let's pray. God, may that not be us. Help us not to be foolish when it comes to the way that we manage the resources that you have entrusted to us. Please, Lord, give us wisdom. We desire wisdom. Wisdom in all the areas of our lives, but especially in this area of handling our finances. Help us, Lord, to be good stewards, to be God-honoring stewards of every resource that you have put at our disposal. To realize that you're the owner of it all, 
And we are but the managers of it. And we want to be faithful managers. We want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so even in this area of money, we entrust it to you. And we ask God that you would mold us and shape us into the financial managers that you want us to be for your glory and for your honor, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.